snowblower away. Now, I know it's raining, but this is Buffalo and it's the middle of winter. You don't put the snowblower away because that's the kiss of death. Oh, hi, it's Pete Pomisano. And I'm very excited because the numbers are coming down. The numbers are coming down. We have to just stay vigilant. The numbers are coming down and we can get back to our real lives within, well, the next several months, I'd say. And uh, that's kind of exciting. Maybe by September, maybe by November, by Thanksgiving, we'll be eating dinner with our family again. Maybe, I hope. Stay vigilant. Keep wearing your masks. What is that noise? I... Do you hear that? What is that noise? But in the meantime, we still can't get out to all the restaurants we want to, so we're still going to keep our to-go segment. This might be the last to-go segment because I think things are really opening up, but it's a really good to-go segment this time because it's Diane Burlingame and she's going to talk about vegan food. And although that's not my thing, I know a lot of people will be thrilled to get this information about vegan food. And you know what? The way she describes it, it sounds pretty darn good. But before we get to that, let me tell you about my main guest this week. Uh, my main guest is Afrim Jean Belay. You may have seen him at Road Less Traveled Theater. He's an accomplished actor. He's a podcaster himself. He has a YouTube channel or three that he produces. And he's a really interesting guy. So just stick around a little while while we talk to Diane. And then we will get to Afrim. And also a mystery guest, a surprise guest. But first, Diane Burlingame. One of my favorite set designers in all of Buffalo. What an artist. What a talent. Here's Diane to tell us about her favorite vegan takeout here on Off-Road with me, Pete Pomisano. Let's talk first about the restaurant or restaurants that you, uh, that you are recommending in our to-go segment. So go ahead. Sure. So I've got, I've got three. Uh, we'll start off. There's, you know, I, I was listening to, to recent podcast and uh, Kristen Tripp Kelly mentioned her theme as, as comfort food. Okay. And my, my theme uh, as, as we talked about is vegan plant-based food. Great. And we haven't had any of that yet. Great. The, the first restaurant is completely plant-based and the other two are omnivore with some really great plant-based options. Cool. So the first one up is Big Mood and Big Mood was formerly Root in Bloom. Uh, they're on uh, Elmwood Ave, 423 Elmwood Ave. Okay. And they've been around just a couple of years. Uh, they started in 2018 and they've been 100% plant-based the entire time. They rebranded to be Big Mood uh, actually with the pandemic last year. Mm -hmm. They were doing a lot of dine-in. They have a really great patio in the back. But when the pandemic hit and everything switched to, to takeout, they decided to go more takeout friendly dishes. So they, mm -hmm. they switched around and just rebranded everything. So it's Big Mood, M-O-O-D? Yeah, Big okay. Mood. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so give me some examples of kinds of things that you like from there. Sure. So top dishes, 
their loaded mac and cheese. If you have been wondering what vegans eat, uh, you should get the loaded mac and cheese. (laughs) It's a, it's a, plant-based mac and cheese with deep fried tofu, barbecue tofu on top, or you can get it buffalo style with a buffalo sauce and a vegan blue cheese and comes with sauteed greens on it. Oh my goodness. It's, and and yeah. what, what comprises, well, you wouldn't know, maybe you do know, what comprises the cheese in a oh, vegan yeah, I de- mac I, and cheese? I definitely know because, I mean, we make our own, we make, you know, all sorts of cheese, vegan cheese dishes at home too. So primarily nut-based cashew in particular, you Interesting. you use usually soaked cashews and grind them up in like a blender or food processor or something like that. And nutritional yeast, those are the two the two big ingredients. Is, I, I uh, know nutritional yeast. My my, my buddy uh, uh, Dave Lundy introduced me to nutritional yeast. Oh yeah, uh, actually his wife Mari. So okay, so that's one of the dishes that you like there. Anything else? Yeah, buffalo wings are pretty stellar. They actually entered their wings in the the last wing fest, Buffalo Wing Fest, and really? and won an award uh, for being a, a plant based. But uh, everyone loved it. It's deep fried jackfruit, huh. which you can also get uh, buffalo style or barbecue. But we really like the the buffalo style one. Very cool. Very cool. Now, what's the deal with them? Are they open, uh, you know, six days a week or do you- Yeah, the only day they're closed uh, is Monday. They're open Tuesday through Sunday mm-hmm. and they do breakfast from nine to noon and then they do lunch and dinner from 12 to eight on Tuesday through Saturday. And on Sunday, uh, they close a little bit earlier. They do 12 to seven. And all of this is available for takeout? Correct. Do they, okay, here's another question. Do they uh, will they deliver it out to your car or do you go in or how does it work? Some places have, you know, delivery to your door, to your car door, I should say, and others you have to go in. Is there anything particular about this one? Yeah. So they're, they're doing, you, you come in to, to pick it up and they do have limited um, indoor dining right now. Um, mm-hmm. They just changed that with the, the new updates from New York State. So it's it's a small place, so it is, it is pretty limited, just a, a handful of people. Um, and they also uh, recently partnered with a Buffalo-based delivery service. Mm-hmm. So instead of using like Uber Eats or, or DoorDash, they partnered with this, this Buffalo-based company called Appetite. I just read about that in the paper. It we sounds just great. Tried it. It was. It's amazing. And you know, like yourself, we're in the South Town, so getting delivery down here from the city is a luxury. Um, <laughs> so we we just had them bring some stuff out, uh, and it it was great. It, it, what an awesome little startup company in Buffalo. Oh, that's cool. I'd like to give them a plug as too. Oh, okay, which brings up the question: How do you order? Do you order by phone or online or what? You can do either. I have done online ordering and phone, actually. We've, we've done both, and both mm-hmm. work great. So you have the option of either. So they have their own website. You just go to Big Mood's website. Yeah, and, and can eat, you eatbigmood.com. Eatbigmood.com. Mm-hmm. And in order to have delivery from Appetite, is that also on that webpage? Or yep, do you... it, link, it links right to it. That is great. Yeah, that's awesome. Terrific. Okay, what's the next one? Okay, so next one is a Buffalo favorite, Betty's. Uh, which, you know, right down on Virginia Street. They are, as I mentioned, you know, omnivore restaurant, but they have some really excellent vegan dishes and they almost always have vegan daily specials. Even with pandemic and everything, they've, they've 
just kept going because uh, it's it's a, it's so delicious and sells so well. So my favorite from them, maybe this should have been my theme, is their <laughs> vegan wings as well. Um, oh, they okay. <laughs> they do uh, seitan wings instead of the the jackfruit. Okay, and those they're wonderfully spicy and also served with a blue cheese, and their specials they do what they call fire tots. So grown-up tater tots, tater tots, um, right? With a sriracha aioli, chili sauce, scallions, and jalapeno, which is those are are pretty great. Oh and man! And they also do a really great stuffed acorn squash. That's also on my list of of their top dishes. But that's only offered when they do specials. That's not on their regular menu. Okay. Is Betty? Well, Betty's does breakfast, lunch, and dinner, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they do yeah. a great brunch too. When when you know we're not. When in we a can global get in. pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, anything special about their hours that we need to know about? They are also closed on Mondays. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, they're just kind of open all the time. They do a little bit of a break between lunch and dinner. Uh, they close from three to five to prep for the dinner menu. But otherwise, they're they're open till nine in the evenings. Do you know if they also do, deal with appetite? I don't believe they do because Appetit is so new. I think they're just doing it as a trial mm-hmm. with a couple of places is my understanding. Yep. With Betty's, um, you have to call to order. They don't have any online ordering right now. Okay. Okay. Very cool. All right. And you had one more. Saigon, Bangkok in Hamburg. This is just around the corner from me. Have you ever now, where is this? Where, where is this? On Buffalo Street. Buffalo yeah. You've probably Street. driven right past it. It's, I'm sure it's I have. one of the circles in Hamburg on Buffalo Street. Okay. Yeah, Saigon, Bangkok, and specifically Hamburg, because there's another with a similar name that's that's up in Amherst. So okay, cool. when you're looking online, you have to specify Saigon, Bangkok, Hamburg. Okay. Um, and they are also closed on Mondays. <laughs> I'm <laughs> as detecting the same as the other two. I, there's a theme here. I've seen this enough with other restaurants. I remember. Yeah, so don't go looking for takeout on Monday evenings. I, that's exactly the problem. I remember thinking. Oh, I didn't feel like cooking today. Oh, shit, it's Monday. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, all right. Anyway, they're also not open on Monday. Uh, what else you want to say about them? Favorite dish from them is a toss-up between their pad thai with tofu or their yellow curry, also with tofu. Both mm. dishes, you have to specify vegan or uh, vegetarian. Okay. And if that's not your your scene, you can you can get it with with chicken or, or chicken or beef, um, probably beef as well. Yeah. But yeah, their their pad thai is pretty stellar. You know, I've been looking for a good Chinese restaurant or Asian food, I should say, in Hamburg. There was a place that closed several years ago, and I haven't been able to find one to replace it since then, uh, probably before you got here. So just in general, this is sort of an Asian restaurant recommendation as well. Yeah, and definitely. probably they have a, do they have a small seating area when they are open? They do. Yep. And I don't know. I, I didn't see on their website when I was looking this week if they're doing uh, limited in person or not right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but their takeout is you call to, to order for that okay. one okay. and go and pick up. They're not doing any delivery. And uh, what they did start doing um, recently is they have a expanded outdoor patio. So once the weather gets nice, um, there'll be some outdoor dining, which okay. was a big hit uh, last summer with, with the pandemic. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Great. Those are those are three great ones, especially since I guess I, I guess I forgot that you're out that you live out here now and it's been five years. Okay. Well mm-hmm. <laughs> go figure. Well, thank you, Dang Burlingame. I'll see you next week. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. 
Now tell me that food doesn't sound pretty darn good. And let me give an extra plug to this new takeout delivery system for food. It is a startup that has started up here in Buffalo. It was in the paper the other day. I read about it. It's called Appetite. A-P-P-E-T-I-T. Look it up. They deliver just about everywhere. And the restaurant owner gets to keep more of his actual cash. Unlike other apps that I won't describe for you, they take too much of the restaurant owner's profit. And you know, they don't make a lot of profit on every dish. So if they're losing money on every delivery, that's what Appetite is all about. Making sure they can save more in, of that money for themselves. Yeah, and you probably noticed that I said to Diane, oh, I'll see you next week, which actually means I'll see you in two weeks because she's going to be my primary guest in two weeks when I talk to her about her process and how she goes through creating these beautiful set designs and paintings and, and set decorations. She is very, very talented. But first, how about a surprise guest? Someone you didn't expect. One question quickie with my friend, everybody's friend, Jack Hunter. He went away for a while. He went out to California, tried to make his way out there, did some cool stuff. And then he came back to Buffalo. And I, I was in a show with him called Frost Nixon, where he played Nixon. He became Nixon. A great guy, a great actor. Here's Jack Hunter telling you about his career as an actor in Buffalo. And the question is, who's the most inspirational person to your career? And, of course, you've had several careers, and you've embarked on a, a new photographic career I know about. So uh, you pick what career you want to talk about, and I was thinking oh, acting. but That's the one I was thinking. Well, I'm thinking theater because I want to talk a, a little more than acting. And I didn't grow up here. Okay. Uh, I grew up in western Pennsylvania, so I, I didn't do theater here. As I was growing up, I didn't know anybody here. I went to Penn State, and I did theater there in a real methody kind of program. And I wanted something a little different. And so a guy there said, you should audition in Buffalo. I just finished there, and you might like it. There's some political stuff going on there. <laughs> so I auditioned for Saul Elkin. Uh. And Saul made me a fellow at the Center for Theater Research. <laughs> now, that sounds like a musical theater place, right? <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah, right. So I got to do uh, Bertolt Brecht. I did a Bentley play. I got to act with for Cas uh, Braun. And those were things I'd never really done before. Mm -hmm. So that was, and Saul brought me up here. But the next thing that happened was, he used me in Shakespeare in Delaware Park. I'd never done anything like that. I, I was driving cab, and I, a, a guy told me, he said, theater, the only time we go to theater is uh, when we go to Shakespeare in Delaware Park. You can take <laughs> a six-pack and watch these people. So I'm on stage doing Shakespeare, and I'm standing there, and I'm being forced to look up the hill at another actor in costume walking down the hill, playing accordion, singing something like That's Amore. Do you remember that play? Oh, how could I forget it? <laughs> but that, that, was a, that was a lesson to me. I thought, this is fantastic. Are you telling me that was your first? I mean, that was No, it wasn't. That wasn't. But it was one of those. No, the, the first. One of those moments. 
that was a, a, a learning lesson for me. <laughs> and the other one that was a real learning lesson was being in Richard II, being on stage and watching Richard Wesp doing a, a monologue. And I'm standing there thinking, God, this guy's good. He just makes these words sound like people. He was great. He's not destroying the words, and the emotional content is there. And I had never known that words could be that important. And, and I knew it was good because all of a sudden a hush came over the entire place. And I looked around and I went, oh, God, I've got a line here. And everybody's <laughs> waiting for me. <laughs> but that's, that's how much he pulled me in. It was tremendous. You know what I learned from that Shakespeare in the Park situation? Never tell Saul that you can play a weird instrument. <laughs> because I remember distinctly him saying during a rehearsal, well, it, it's too bad you don't have something. Maybe you could come down with a banjo or something and coming down the hill. And I said, well, I have an accordion, not a banjo. And he went, you do? <laughs> and I'm think, in my head, I'm thinking, this, there's no way he's going to ask me to do that. Sure enough, next thing I know, you're at the bottom of the hill, I'm at the top of the hill, and we're looking at each other, and I'm singing that's amore. It, it was crazy. Well, at one point, he, he decided I should learn to juggle, too. <laughs> oh, sure, okay. And I did. And you did. I, I didn't know Shakespeare could have those things. Yeah, but it was Saul, so he's such a sweet man, you just went, okay, I, I guess I'll juggle now. Okay. Yes. You know, the other thing with Saul was eventually I decided to go to UB for directing. Mm -hmm. And Saul was my advisor. And what I loved about Saul was he let me do whatever I wanted, mm -hmm. including covering the entire floor of the theater in Harriman Hall with hay <laughs> for a play. And after the play was over, the, the hay was gone, but the vermin were still there. <laughs> And a couple of months later, they finally had to bring in an exterminator. Oh, no. My play lived on. <laughs> but he was wonderful because every time he'd see something, he would give me good critiques, often things that I went, I don't agree with that, until I went home and thought about him. Yeah, he's right. <laughs> but he would also tell me what worked. And uh, th that was a real learning experience to me. And that, that changed a whole lot. Because uh, of Saul, I, I, I met people like um, uh, Erica Wall, Neil Raddus. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I got to meet those guys. And then the last stuff I did before I went to L.A., uh, one of the last pieces I did was The Price. And this was the second time I'd done it. And the first time, Saul was really good. The last time, he was fantastic. And the guy playing my brother was pretty good, too. Best work I've ever seen you do, man. You knocked me out every night. You well, know, thank you, Jack. You're who I'm talking to. So uh, I shared stuff about Richard and Saul. And uh, the reason I'm in Buffalo is because of Saul. And that led to a lot of things and a lot of them with him. And Julie Pardee, who also watched my audition to come here with Saul. That's great. Well, well listen, Jack, thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome, pal. You know, you're one of the guys I miss. Not everybody is, is it true. Jack, you have a great day. Thank you so much. Jack Hunter. And if you ever get a chance to check out one of his photographic displays, one of his art shows, he's really good at it. I, I really enjoy the photos he has taken. 
But without further ado, let's get on to Afrim Jambalai here on RLTP's Off Road. Welcome to Off Road. I, I have been wanting to talk to you since I saw you in Disgraced, which we will talk about a little later on at uh, Road Less Traveled. So welcome. Glad to have you here. Now, you are from Brooklyn uh, through via, and we got to you via Buff State. So let's let's yeah. just talk about your upbringing in, in Brooklyn and where you came from. Sure. Uh, first, thank you for having me because it's an honor to be on the show with all the other guests that you've had and, and the episodes that I've listened to. Thanks. In short, yeah, born and raised in Brooklyn, kind of traditional Albanian Muslim family. Is there a traditional Albanian Muslim family in Brooklyn? Is that a, is that a conclave? Are there a lot of you down there? Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, my, my family's actually pretty, uh, pretty big and uh, a lot of cousins. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like an Italian family. You got a lot of cousins. Yeah, yeah. It's all, I mean, they're all in the same, same region. You know, I joke around all the time. I'm like, they're just, we're all just really good swimmers. <laughs> Albania to Italy, Italy to Greece. Back in, you know, well, we're all, we're all interconnected. You know, my father's from Sicily. Yeah. And of course, Sicily has been conquered by everybody sometime in its history. When I went there, when I finally got to go there and went around Palermo, there were mosques and the, well, there, there, there was Muslim mosques, there was Greek temples, there was, everybody has been through there and established a foothold and, and then moved on. It was, I guess it was just a strategically good, good place to, to uh, set up. Yeah. World, world history is a, a trip <laughs> when you start to look at it. It's like nothing, nothing new under the right. sun. So do you still have, but, you uh, still have family down in Brooklyn? Yeah, my, my two sisters are there. My mother is there. Um, my brother is actually in Florida. He owns a pizzeria oh. down there. He hit, he hit 40 uh, and was like, you know what? I've, I've had enough of the city. This was some years back. I think about six years, six years now. Did he take New York style pizza in Florida? Yes. Because they can use it. I'm telling yeah. you. There's He's, no place good to eat in the South. And I mean, you can my opinion me. might be biased, but I think <laughs> his place is the best. Oh, um, I'm, I'm sure. And what did your dad do? Uh, did... My father, my father passed away when I was five. I'm he sorry. was a, a superintendent, uh, just blue collar, you know, hard worker, elevator man at sure, night, sure. superintendent by day, or or rather the inverse, because my mother actually worked as a cleaning woman in the city, so they were constantly like it was this rotation of like, hey, you're off to work. We, my mother actually still lives in the same building that my father was the superintendent in, so that's that's the place I grew up. You came from a really hardworking blue collar family. What what did they think about you going into theater? And they must have just said, "What can't you get a real job, Ephraim?" I think it the confusion was like when you when you watch a video on a computer, and you get that little ring of like, hmm, like what's going on? It's not computing. <laughs> like that's kind of oh no, what it was for them. Yeah. Uh, the hourglass. <laughs> yeah, I don't. It wasn't like, uh, oh, hey, don't do this. You know, go get it. I think it was more of a security thing because they come from a background that's like the idea of security is very. Um, it, it it's a hard thing to balance. It's scary. You know, you mm -hmm. want to make sure you have all the bases covered. You want to have you know your shelter, your food, all the things that you need, and they couldn't conceptualize how to do that via any kind of pursuit of the arts. Yes. Yes. So I think that was a that was a balance I had to strike 
that uh, eventually over time, when I started to kind of acquire some credits and do bigger projects and actually get paid to be an actor, they were like, ah, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's our friend. He's the, he's okay. the actor in the family. Now yeah. I get it. Now I yeah. get it. They're thinking, but it took, it took some time for them to get it. So where did you get the acting bug from? Did it, and, and then come up to Buff State of all places. Let's it's, it's, I mean, it's such a crazy, I would say shortly after my father passed away, all I did was watch movies and I'd go up Flatbush Avenue, um, which is in the neighborhood I grew up in. And, and it was a different time in like kind of late eighties, early nineties, I would go get, um, bootleg Kung Fu movies <laughs> on VHS oh. and I would watch those and, um, you know, Bruce Lee movies, which oh, I'm, I'm sure. such a huge fan of. And, um, you know, modern day martial arts philosopher and, and you'd watch these movies and you'd see kind of the, the altruistic hero save the day just cause it's the right thing to do. And, mm -hmm. but they're doing it also in martial arts. It's like the, you know, <laughs> there was always a kind of the thing of those films where, um, they would try to stop the problem without violence. And then when yes. violence was brought upon them, they just whooped everyone's ass. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of fell in love with that, you know? So you uh, fell in love with acting via martial arts, really? Yes. Yes. Martial arts was actually the first thing that led me into the acting stuff. And I was the youngest of all my siblings, um, like nine and a half years after my brother. So I wow. came way later down the line, you know? I so are you the baby in the family? Like, yes. Yes. You, you are. Okay. Two sisters and a brother. Yeah. Oh, very cool. You know, the attention field, I, I had to get into the field of, of getting that attention. So that's why I'm Because yeah, you didn't get enough being the, with the two sisters, they probably babied you. Oh my God. You're so spoiled from those girls. I'll bet. There's ridiculous pictures of me with like super slick back hair. I was like their modeling, like a uh, hair model, you know, and one sister was like, uh, like studying hair. And so she would like, let's do this part. Let's do this slick back. So there's all these really ridiculous photos of me. Very late eighties. And of course you just went, okay. Huh? Oh, I'll move forward with this. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So then Buff State, where'd that come from? I mean, of all places. I guess like a quick fast forward, I, I went to school all, all, all throughout in Brooklyn, middle school, high school. I went to a technical vocational high school called William E. Grady, hmm. and I studied automotive there. For what reason, I don't know. I should have gone into the audiovisual. Like that was where my passion was, that or honestly, culinary arts. But at that oh. time, you would, you, if you try to do something like that and you're like, oh, you're a guy, you're doing that stuff, you're, you know, part of my language. Oh, you're, you're a bitch, you know, or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. That that's a girl's, that's where the girls go. Yeah, that's what that, that thought process was. Plus, it, you, so you're probably also somewhere in the back of your mind, you're thinking, okay, my, my mom really wants me to have a, a, you know, a job somewhere and have a skill somewhere. So I had no skills, no passion. My passion was for martial arts and I'd never mm -hmm. even studied it up until I, to lead in. Basically, I, I started training martial arts at 15. And oh. because of that, I'd gotten the confidence to audition for West Side Story, which was being done at my high school. Uh. The music teacher there took it upon herself, uh, Miss, Miss Friedman, uh, Miss Winchman at the time, she, she took it upon herself to hold this audition. I don't know what came upon me. I was like, let me go audition for it. got the role of riff. Oh, that's the <laughs> and, first time out. Yeah. And, uh, I just, you know, that's kind of where the bug hit me. And then as for buff state, I didn't know any of this stuff. I had nobody in my family knew how to guide me in that direction of how, how to go, what to do. So when it came time to apply for college, 
honestly, I, I was planning on going into the military. And then my mom said, please don't mm -hmm. go to college. Like, you know, education is key. Like that's, that's the thing. So please yeah. pursue that. And I said, okay. So I applied to a bunch of different schools, got into Buff State through the uh, EOP program, educational opportunity program. Yes. And uh, went for like a two week introduction and they showed us Buff State over the summer. And I was like, oh my goodness, I, this is the place <laughs> I want to be, you know, cool. long story short, and then pursued theater. Was it your intention when you went there? Well, wait a minute, let me go back a little bit because I've already screwed up the interview questions. So at 15, you're doing martial arts stuff. Then you go and you try out for West Side Story. You get a role in there. So now your, your acting chops have been, you know, your, your interest has been whetted. And then from there in high school, now you start looking around. Were you looking around for theater type schools? No, because I think I just didn't even think that that was a, a thing i was so when i look back at that time mm -hmm. i i was not the kind of person that was gonna say like hey what's this opportunity i didn't know how to reach out for help really i had yes. counselors in school that were like they had to pull me aside and be like hey this is what you can do yes. so if it wasn't for the kindness of people on the periphery of my life looking out to say like hey we see this in you maybe you don't see it or you you can't see the forest from the trees. Cause you know, growing up in Brooklyn, we, we weren't by far the worst financially, but we were, you know, paycheck to paycheck food stamps, th th this kind of sure, thing of like sure. trying to survive. Cause we, you know, uh, it, it was a, it was a tougher life and my siblings, God bless them. They, and, and my mom, they did their best to kind of ease that more so for me. So as mm -hmm. a younger kid, I didn't necessarily see, could be a product of, of life. And sometimes you just go insular to, to hide away from the, the really hard stuff that's going on. Yeah. So I think that was what happened up until like maybe my teens, my later teens. And I started to realize, Oh, you can't put yourself in a bubble. Mm -hmm. You have to pursue something. Well, thank goodness you had counselors who could help direct. I was afraid you were going to say, and I had a counselor who said, look, you should be in auto mechanics because that's where you that's where your interest lies. They go do auto mechanics. At least yeah. they Well, I had both. I had one that was oblivious. That was part of my <laughs> he, he this gentleman was uh you know, and obviously it's a tough job, so I don't try to vilify anybody. It's like no. you know, when you have so many kids, it's like what can you do? But he just kind of was like going by rote, you know, with what he sure. knew to say. And then I would go and hang out on the second floor with my friends who were part of a different major. I see. And that counselor was like, Hey, you should do this or Hey, you should apply for this. So it was again, somebody who didn't have to, you know, mm -hmm. I wasn't on their clock, so to speak, Yep. but they did it, you know? And what, what was there about Buff State when you were there and you saw the, you know, the orientation and you said, look at this area and, and it so just on. wasn't Brooklyn. It, <laughs> it was a way, it was a way, it was about as far away as you can get, but yeah. still be in New York. <laughs> and still part of a big city, a big yes. quote in quotes city. Oh my gosh. When we're taking the bus, we're, so we're driving up, we, we catch the bus at, um, by Madison square garden. We mm -hmm. hop on the bus, we're driving up, we start going through Albany where, and I see trees and all this. I'm like, Oh my God, like, this is the, this is the country. <laughs> yes. Like I see, you know, and I'm thinking Buffalo is going to be this like country kind of, I had no idea. It's Little so Hicktown. funny. Just like <laughs> the obliviousness of what led me. Like I would just kind of led with my, my, my heart and adventure and wanting to try something totally different. So 
And and Buff State is in such a great area too. That down there on Elmwood, right across from the art gallery, and then and then right across from our Central Park, our Delaware Park. So you still had all the trees and all of that stuff there. It's, so, it's beautiful. I love it. I love. Yeah. I, I can't sing the praises of Buffalo and Buff State enough. Like this is to me, it'd be my second home. Did you go right in as a theater major? No, I, I did. Um, you know, computer information systems and I was trying to double major. And, and it was that kind of a thing of like, mm -hmm. um, Oh, Hey mom. Hey family. Uh, I got this thing that I'm, so I was plan being in my head. I've, the got, whole I've time. got a fallback. I got a fallback. Yeah. But, um, I, I learned, I learned over time that for my personality and the way that I, um, live life, I, I can't be a plan B person. <laughs> it has to be, it has to be all plan A. And which became the acting, which became the acting. And then there's also because I looked at your reel, I, you've also got the uh, fight choreography and fight uh, stunt work, stunt work. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so on. But again, I'm jumping ahead here. So is this where you met your, your fiance, I assume? Some years later. I mean, there were so many, so many ups and downs, but to, to abbreviate it, I came back to Buffalo for a year to save up money to go to California. And in uh, that time, which was like 2009, actually. Mm -hmm. So this is way after I'd graduated. Sure. That's, that's when I met her. Oh, we, okay. We traveled together. Not to, the typical, uh, we were in the same class together. No, we, no, no. we saw each other from afar and sparks, <laughs> nothing like that. <laughs> no, it's, it's funny. We, um, I was looking for jobs, looking for work. Mm -hmm. And uh, I walk into Spot Coffee on Elmwood. She's managing there. Mm -hmm. And, um, I ask, Hey, you, you know, are there any positions available? And she's like, no, not here, but uh, maybe at the downtown location. So I apply at the downtown location. I get a job. I start working, saving money. And then all, you know, all the like cafe workers and baristas hang out. And one thing so we, to met and we were talking and then it turned out that she, <laughs> she, they did have positions available, but she was like, ah, it's another person to split tips with. Let's send them down. Let's send them down to the <laughs> downtown. I was like, oh, this, man. Guy, this guy's too good looking. We're going to get people in here. who are just going to be asking for him. I could just see it now. Yeah. So, uh, so that's how that works. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, w I want to get into the whole acting and everything, but I have to ask you, because having done some research on you, of course, uh, I, I see the YouTube channel that's got really, it's, it's, well, you have several, but the first one I wanted to ask you about, of course, is the artist dojo, the artist dojo, obviously dojo from your martial arts background. Yes. And and I assume you, you continued studying martial arts. I, I still do. Uh, right up through. A, to this day. Yeah. Yeah. And so you've got the artist dojo and what's the focus of that? What was your intention with that? Kind of what we touched on that I didn't have the, the guidance and the understanding to know what even attempting to be an artist or a craftsman or an actor or fill in the blank in life, especially if you don't come from that kind of a background, how do you pursue that? So I thought having conversations with people that are, you know, high performers, people that I really respect in, in that, that I would consider an artist mm -hmm. and asking them, Hey, how, how did you do this? What are the things that motivate you? You know, where was the spark of, the thing that came to, to put you on that path. And, um, Interesting. it's really, if, if I could somehow send these conversations back to my 17 year old self, 
You know, that's kind of the goal is like, even though I can't do that, that's in my heart. That's kind of the intention where if if a younger, you know, actor, artist, or whomever needs like a, to tap into something or, or get a jumpstart or reignite the feeling that they had towards arts, that they could do that with those conversations. So you wanted to talk to experienced artists who've been successful and you had Andre DeShield, you, Tom Fontana, also from Buffalo. Uh, I mean, and these, you're talking to these people who you can get guidance from basically and, and get some insight, get some, some helpful hints, if nothing else. I think so. I mean, every one of those conversations has led me to um, take another step towards something that I was thinking about or maybe second guessing or, or not understanding. It's just like, you need to surround yourself with people that are willing to have those kinds of conversations and, and kind of recharge each other. I don't want to hang around people who are negative. There's enough, Mm -hmm. there, there is enough negative in the world that is not going anywhere anytime soon. So I'd rather deal in the, in the positives and through the positives, you affect change that you want to see. Gotcha. I'm not gotcha. trying to knock people down. I've, I've studied and understood martial arts and violence for many years of my life. So violence begets violence. The irony of martial arts is you train to hopefully never use it. And that's right. why a lot of people who train in martial arts are really calm, nice people because they know what the other end is. Well, and they have that inner confidence that they can be, uh, they can be relaxed about themselves because they know they are ready if they need to act. If yeah. they need it's to like my, one of my favorite scenes in uh, Enter the Dragon. Uh, this guy is on a boat and he's kind of like walking up to people and throwing punches and acting like a jerk. And Bruce Lee's just hanging out there and he looks at him and, and the guy's like, what's your style? He goes, <laughs> oh, my style, it's the art of fighting without fighting. It's like art of fighting without fighting. Yeah. Show me some of it. He looks at him and he goes, later. i'm sure it'll come up a little later on he's like later you know like this and then you have the nerve to not the nerve i should say the guts to put this on youtube see because you're a young good looking guy i'm I'm old as hell i'm not putting any of this on youtube this is audio only but your your podcast actually sort of are simulcast not simulcast but they also appear on youtube well yeah i use the i use the zoom the zoom footage and i Mm -hmm. pull the audio from that and Yep, and just use it yeah, very simply. Exactly what I'm what I'm doing now, except I won't be using the audio, I mean, the video, unless sometimes I use a little of the video to create a sort of a teaser reel, like a minute it's long. It's just or as something. scary. It's just as scary for me. I think there's so <laughs> many things that have stopped me from putting out a, a, a creative expression of some kind because I'm like, oh, you know, someone's gonna say, or they're gonna misunderstand, or they're gonna bump, 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 you know, and then it becomes yeah. this whole you you convince yourself in the negative to not even like you you defeat yourself before you even start the thing so we we don't allow these these seeds to flourish gotcha. we don't even plant them we just kind of like oh no 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 can't do that cuz people are going to say this this and this and it's like mm-hmm. I, i'm starting to get to the point where i don't care what the opinion is if i know that my intention is is pure and honest and i could be wrong that doesn't mean that uh, it's it's going to be this perfect expression, but it's an honest one. Mm-hmm. And if conversation comes out of that, then I'm I'm happy. Whereas in the past, I would have been scared. I think. Now I have to take a sidetrack here because you and I have something in common. You're not even going to believe it when I tell you. But I first of all, I looked at your third podcast that you produced, the Cosmic Capybara, which for some reason you named after a rodent. Um, <laughs> 
I, I'm sure there's a story there if you want to tell it, but <laughs> I was at I a party once. Okay, go ahead. In LA. And I knew a bunch of people and there's a bunch of people I didn't know, but I, I try my best to just, I go up to people and say, Hey, how are you? Like, mm -hmm. I'm a friend. Nice to meet you, you know, <laughs> and then just go from there. And, um, so this person I'd worked with, she's a, um, a cinematographer, a camera operator. She's worked on glow and other, uh, projects and yeah. was just like, you know, your spirit animals, the capybara. And I started laughing because we, there are these videos of the capybaras hanging out with, they hang out with birds, they hang out with monkeys, they hang out with alligators, they, with zero concern of like, you know, they're, they're animals safety. won't be next to an alligator. Sure. That's a killer. And he's just like, you know, <laughs> hanging out. So that's kind of how I feel about, I mean, I know I've known the best of the best and the worst of the worst, <laughs> and I'm cool with it either way. That is, that is a great story. And then oh. cosmic, because, you know, honestly, everything is cosmic and it's connected and you know, we, we make all these issues to stress ourselves out, but in reality, it's like, you know, where is it? You are here, you know, floating in the universe. And it's conveniently uh, alliterative. So you've got <laughs> that going for you too. So here's the connection between the two of us. And, I, and I'm going to cut some of this out because I don't really want everybody to know. Um, I've been collecting comic books since I was nine years old. Whoa. During this pandemic, I sold almost all of my old DC books, the ones that aren't, I don't think, as valuable as the Marvel books. Now, I sold ones that I thought, well, and they weren't in great shape, but they were in, they were in good shape. And I, I didn't dare go to CGC to try to get, because there are too many of them. And it costs money to have them yeah, yeah, evaluated course. and so on. I saw the one video you had where you pulled them out of the, out of the box and they were all nicely sealed in those plastic things. And I thought, I can't do this for all these. So I was very honest. I, I spent weeks on this in the early part of this, of this pandemic. I said, I got to get something done. So I'm going to get rid of some of these comic books. Because when I go, I don't want them just sitting in a box somewhere. And my daughter will, God bless her. I love her more than life itself. But she's not doesn't have the time to worry about these things. They'll just get yeah, donated course. somewhere. So I have two granddaughters. And I said, I'm going to just sell these lesser valued ones and put it in their college fund. I don't need the money. I, you know, I'm an old retired teacher. I, I don't need the money. So I did. And I sold them in, in lots of four or five or six. You know, I took pictures of the whole group of them. I took pictures of each book individually. And then when I saw your pressing and cleaning of the books, I was fascinated <laughs> by this. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, those look great. And he puts it in a in a moisture thing first, and then I don't really know if how much it would have worked because there was there were a lot of color problems with you know what you call it a color break where there's a, a fold and you can actually see. You'd a be surprised, white. especially with those pulp books with that type oh, of paper, they how they respond really well to the heated. Uh, well, now heat you heat. tell me. I wish I would. I would have. I would have went through that whole collection with you, man. And I'm sure you would have. But I would never have. I would never have been able to take the time to do that with 400 books. Yeah, I think with with a clean, depending on what's going on with a clean and press, you will be absolutely surprised at how really much it grows. I mean, I got back into comics because, again, it was that kind of thing. It was something I was really into at a young age, but I didn't have access to. Similar to martial arts, until I was, I would have loved to train since I was five, you know, mm -hmm. since I could remember, but I didn't have access to it until I was about 
15, you know, and then my sister paid for my lessons, you know, (laughs) it was this whole like thing. But in regard to comics, there's a place on Flatbush Avenue in the neighborhood I grew up in called Bulletproof Comics. Mm -hmm. It's been there since the early nineties. And I would always kind of window shop and peek in and look and, you know, always walk away like, man, that's really cool. And, uh, so fast forward to the early part of this pandemic, I'm speaking to a close family friend and he's like, Hey, you're in Buffalo. He's like, if you're ever looking for uh, you know, comics or anything, cause we were talking about comics and video games and all these things, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a geek at heart. I, I don't want to ever get away from the, the part of me that loves stories. And as a kid, you know, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. of course I'm an adult. I work, I take care of my responsibilities, but I don't want to ever get away from that part of myself. So when he said that, I'm like, you know what? Yeah. Let me, let me, look into it and start to get back into it. So I I go online, I look up Bulletproof Comics. They have a weekly auction on Facebook. Mm. I start to tune into that and I I become like insanely close friends with the owner of Bulletproof Comics. I tell him, hey man, you don't even know that I used to window shop here as a kid, (laughs) you know? And now he's like my, like a brother from another mother, basically. Like through that, I just thought to myself, I'm like, why am I I'm, I'm killing myself to do all these other things and try to get through. But I was like, no, I need, I need art. I need comics and stories and, and to tap into the hero's journey of stories to, to have that round out my Your love of storytelling. Sure. Whereas instead of being stuck in the, the monotony and the sadness of all the, you know, it's like, Oh my God, life's on hold. We're going to lose a year. We're going to lose more than a year. And it's like, okay, what's going to happen is going to happen, but I'm going to make sure that what I'm doing along the way is going to fulfill me, make me happy. You know? Good for you. Oh, all right. We're really off on a tangent here, but, but I'm having fun. So what the hell? Uh, so listen, to, that's the secret section of the comic book <laughs> conversation that we had. Yeah. Yeah. I'll preserve a little bit of it and send you the rest of it. Yeah. Anyway, my friend, what I wanted to talk to you about, ultimately, ultimately I wanted to get into, uh, what I saw at, uh, at Road Less Traveled, which is Disgraced, which was just a wonderful, a wonderful production uh, from the gorgeous set that Lynn, I believe, designed to, to Candace, who was brilliant. And well, everybody was good. But, you know, my, my good friend, Matt Witten, and, and my other dear friend, Kristen Tripp Kelly, just a great cast all around. How did you get involved with that? Did you audition for that or did, or did you? No, I did. I did. Was you, were you attracted to that project? To tell me all about it. So again, the Buffalo connection and how everything is cosmic and tied together <laughs> and all this craziness. My, my very close college friend, uh, Mara Westerling Morris, knew that Roadless Travel was going to be doing Disgraced. And she reads plays like nobody's business. There's nobody mm-hmm. that I know that reads more plays and, and just that's her thing. You know, she's yeah. very aware and, and kind of finger on the pulse of theater. She reaches out and is like, Hey, roadless travel. I'm in Brooklyn, mind you. Roadless travel is doing disgraced. You need to read this play. You need to reach out. And I said, okay, let me read it. So I, mm-hmm. I get a copy, I read it. And I immediately, um, I drive up to Buffalo and I, I asked to meet with Scott like I asked to meet with him. I sit down and I, I say how I know about the show and I ask him, you know, could I please audition for it? And uh, I said, I'll come back anytime. Like it doesn't need to be now. And he said, would you be able to come back Friday? Sure. I drive back down to Brooklyn <laughs> come back up on Friday audition. And um, I was with uh, Kristen trip mm-hmm. Kelly at the audition and yep. it just, you know, 
one like of the best auditions I've ever had in my life. I think maybe what, just the, the impulse of going up and driving up to do it and like this kind of fearlessness. And, and trust me, I had moments where I was like, ah, what am I going gonna, to drive up to Buffalo to audition and come on. And, you know, the little stupid little devil on the shoulder was like, ah, yeah. what are you, you going to drive up? You're going to do this. Are you going to embarrass yourself? You're going to audition. They're going to tell you no. You're going to. So I went and it worked out and I was really compelled by the story to to do something like that and take mm -hmm. a chance and so i guess in a nutshell that was uh, that was it well for those for those who don't know the story would you would you mind just sort of rehashing the story of the play because i saw it uh and it's about it's about muslim matters and about well well would you mind just just rehash it for us a little bit amir kapoor which was the role that i played as uh, a lawyer and he kind of avoids letting people know that he grew up Muslim. Muslim, He's yes. disenfranchised with his faith and his experience of his own faith. And he's trying to navigate helping, you know, his family, helping his nephew. There's an imam, Islamic cleric, similar to a priest that needed representation. And my character just kind of uh, gave him gave him some help, some advice. And then the newspapers ran with him supporting this imam, which then brought up questions of his faith and his identity because he had changed his name. And it, it became this whole thing that it didn't need to be because he was hiding. He was hiding. Hiding from that. And then all the things that he was running from in his life came to manifest in very bad ways at the end. I guess the thing that drew me to that play as well was you know, growing up Muslim and you see the unbelievable bad in the world that's perpetrated in the name of all religions, but especially in Islam, unfortunately. And I felt that I felt that sense of like, not that I've ever been embarrassed to, to express my own faith, but just knowing like, ah, oh, that's so that's disgusting what people do and then call themselves something. Yeah, you got it. You understood. I understood it. There's something that really called to me about that play and being in a relationship with someone that wasn't Muslim, you know, not being what the idea of being Muslim is like, you know, I've in the past, I've up until I was 21, I never uh, drank alcohol ever. Mm -hmm. And then when I was 21, I, I did. <laughs> Am I still Muslim? Yes. Yes. But th there's the thing that those kind of conversations are happening within that play. And I just was so compelled to be a part of it. So that's a uh, why I, I jumped to, to audition. Yeah, it was, I'll tell you, it was a very, very powerful very powerful uh, production, I thought. Uh, and the young man who played the nephew, a newcomer, basically. Mohammed I thought he Faraj, was yeah. He was from very U good. UB, also yeah. from Brooklyn, which was funny. Oh, is that right? We, we connected on that and, and kind of created a good relationship of like uncle-nephew uh, <laughs> relationship off of that. You know, it was, it was really good. So everybody honestly was amazing. They, it was the first time that I was playing a, a, a lead so to speak, in an equity production. And I get there like first day of rehearsal. Matt Witten is basically off book. First day. <laughs> yeah, he'll do I'm that like, to you. I, I was blown away. And then, you know, Kristen, just her, her ability to connect with you as you're speaking, it's like, oh my God, like they leveled me up in a way that I, it was a blessing to work with all of them because I felt like, to me, it's the most fulfilling thing that I've worked on as an actor thus far in my in my career. I've said it before. I would definitely say that. Well, I'll tell you, there, uh, and I'm not just blowing smoke here because they're dear, dear friends of mine that I've worked with both of them. 
on stage, and they're two of the best. They're just you were working with top and Candace, of course. I've never worked with Candace. She starts to like she just has such an ease with which she is being herself and performing as a character that it made like we had there's a section of dialogue where we're just like drinking and kind of you know shooting the breeze as mm-hmm. like co-workers and that felt so easy because that's <laughs> just what we were doing in the course of rehearsal so yeah. it, it was just such a great experience i loved it and oh, it was that's... it was a controversial piece you know there were a lot yes. of, had different feelings about it but i know that i had people coming up to to me and to all of us after the show and, and feeling compelled to express how they felt about it, you know? Yes. Fellow Muslims who had some concerns, but the vast majority of them were really moved by it and understood Mm -hmm. that there's kind of this internal battle that people have that are trying to, you want to identify as American, but you of a different culture or a different faith, or some people even like look drastically different than someone else. So then, you know, there's this feeling of being the other and it's all these things in this like weird hodgepodge of like, you know, this yeah. crock pot of life <laughs> that's just bubbling. And some who you, you said you, you experienced it not to any strong degree, but I'm sure there were some who came up to you after the, the show who, who had experienced that sort of conflict within themselves in a yeah. really deep and emotional way and that play really, especially, well, well, we get to the end. I don't want to talk about the end, but it's just a powerful, powerful play, I thought. Well, anyone, anyone listening, please grab a copy of it, Disgraced by uh, Ayad Akhtar. Mm-hmm. He also wrote an amazing novel called uh, American Dervish. And as I was doing my research for the role, I, I read that. And just beautiful, like trying to, trying to navigate a life of like coming from a particular culture or a particular faith but also being American and what does it mean to, to find your own expression of who you are within that mm-hmm. and not just be a cardboard cutout of the same thing over and over generation after generation. So, well, again, congratulations on it. It was, it was just a lovely production and um, no more needs to be said about that. Buffalo. I, I have to say, I was thankful that Scott and John Hurley who directed and everyone involved at road less traveled had the guts to do it yes and, and gave me it gave me a chance you know because well, scott I, will do that he and and that's one thing road less traveled is getting and i'm not saying this just because they sponsor this podcast but uh that's one thing they they're getting very well known for and that is taking a chance and doing things that are a little controversial doing things that with a wider variety of themes and uh, uh, racial focus and so on. So I, I give them a lot of credit for you gotta that. Have and, guts. And, you got to have guts to be honest. And I'm sure Scott reads it almost as many plays as the woman you mentioned a, <laughs> little, a little earlier. Why are you back in Buffalo now? I assume you moved back to Brooklyn after after Disgraced. Yeah. So you're back in Buffalo for any particular reason? I was in I was in Brooklyn right after Disgraced. I think, you know, at the beginning of this pandemic, there was just so much that was happening and was up in the air. And yes. my uh fiance is um has an autoimmune uh, disorder. Okay. So she didn't want to be you know, once I knew like around March fifteenth or sixteenth. That was about the time. Yep. I was like, okay, you know, city's going to be a little packed. Maybe it might be smarter for you to go up to Buffalo. Her family's from Verysburg, like East Aurora area. Sure. Mm -hmm. I said, why don't you just go up and, you know, be with your family for a bit until this passes hopefully soon. And then uh, I was in Brooklyn with my mother taking care of her. 
you know, she's old, she's disabled and just want to make sure she has all the things that she needs. And, sure. you know, in the beginning of this, there was all this hearsay of what's going on and what works and what doesn't work. And so anyway, and New York city in general was a hotspot and uh, it was absolute hotspot. And it was, um, it was, it was intense, you know, in that early part, just like it was for, for anybody. But, um, so we just started having conversations like, well, why don't we stay up in, in Buffalo, you know, mm -hmm. maybe we can find a place there and, you know, save some money. The cost of living is a, a little bit less. There's, sure. there's a strong theater community that I already have connections to. So it's like those things that you, those types of conversations you have where you're like, Hey, how, how can we adjust, but still keep all the things that make us whole and happy and all that. So, mm -hmm. you know, around July I came up and, uh, yeah, we've been, we've been in Buffalo since I've been back and forth about once a month, maybe, Mm -hmm. Once every two months, just check in with the family and check such. in with the family, make sure they have everything they need and all that stuff. So, and your fiance has a job is working up here now as well. Yes, she's a, she's actually a, she's a personal trainer, so she's been training people virtually since the beginning of this whole thing. Oh, God bless I'm her! Very lucky that um, she's been doing that. And I just recently, like around November, got a job doing uh, overnight security. So I've been doing doubles and triples and like working oh. like, like a madman to, uh, to make money. And, and the thing is like, that's another thing that, a, a topic that I like to talk about is, um, actors and their, their day jobs or their survival jobs and how there's this stigma of like, Oh, if you're doing that, then you can't be working on a high level. And that's what Buffalo taught me was the absolute contrary to that, because you have Kristen Tripp Kelly, you have Matt Witten, you have everybody that all with full-time day jobs, full-time day jobs. Yes. Like I, I have to like, I want to grab people by the collar and shake them and be like, Hey, they're amazing. And they're working full-time day jobs. Why are we giving people stigmas for having being a server or being, uh, you know, involved in some work that, that, that fuels that passion. Mm -hmm. You know, I may have even had a, a, some seeds of doubt still until I worked with them. And I was like, Oh no, 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 that's it, respectful that's, hard work, you know. There is that theory that I have heard as well that you have to just put yourself out there and throw yourself into the deep end. And if you always have something to go back on, you'll never really try hard to swim in the deep end. And I don't believe that. No, and I'm with you. And I think here's the big difference because even jokingly earlier I said, like, you know, I'm a plan A guy. My plan A is is acting. Everything I do is in support of that. So that's mm -hmm. the difference between a plan B and a plan A or everything you do supporting the plan A. I follow you. So every bit of work that I do is going towards that. Every Learning about comics, cleaning and pressing and, and reselling them, that's to fulfill an artistic part of me, but also I'm reselling and using those finances for say headshots or camera equipment or, you know, but we've talked about acting and we've talked, we didn't talk about what you've done, your training, I guess, in stunt work. But uh, I studied in um, uh, Atlanta, in, in uh, Georgia, essentially. And um, there's a, a stunt school there called uh, LA, LA Stunts, basically, <laughs> even though it's in, in, uh, Atlanta. in Atlanta. It's a franchise. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they're, they're amazing instructors, uh, Michael Long and uh, Shelby Swatek, and they've been in the, they've been in the stunt world and, and stunt actors and fight choreographers are so underappreciated in the world of oh my God, television, yeah. film, and theater. You know, they, they make people look so good <laughs> and they make them these, these like badasses. And meanwhile, <laughs> they're at craft services, like sipping <laughs> on a juice and, you know, it's, it's funny because or something like that. I started watching 
I discovered that I have HBO Max, and and I started watching Titans, which is they've got two DC series on there: Titans and Doom Patrol, both of which I never bought the Teen Titans books, and I don't think I ever bought the Doom Patrol books either, back back in the day. But anyway, I'm watching it, and this is the exact thing I'm thinking because I'm going. These guys are all in masks. It makes it so easy to hide the stunt work. And you could tell where, the, where it's cut, and then all of a sudden the yeah, actor yeah, comes yeah. up after being thrown through a wall, and he comes up, and you can tell it wasn't him going through the wall. Well, you can't tell. But I know, you and I, we all know. And, and I'm thinking about the guys who are doing the stunt work, and you're absolutely right. They're totally, totally underappreciated, and, and there's an art to it. There's not just skill. I love watching... Jackie Chan films, yes. like older oh. Jackie Chan films. Like, and you know he's doing it. If you watch, there's a film called Police Story I that he it. did. Mm -hmm. And it's quintessential Jackie Chan. The camera doesn't cut away. Right. He's doing these stunts. The camera's on him the whole time. You're like, what is going on? This guy is <laughs> insane. And that's a feeling that you can't escape from. So for me as an actor, honestly, my my kind of dream goal would be to be in an action or martial arts film mm -hmm. that has substance and weight to it for the character. So it wasn't just people, you know, dialogue to ensure that they're going to fight for the next 30 minutes or whatever. It's actually something that, that has meaning that has intention, but also intense action. So there will be those moments of like, it doesn't cut away and you just go, Oh my God, it's crazy. He's it's a frim. Yeah. <laughs> he went right through that wall. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's very cool. Well, listen, a frim, a frim, John Bly, I uh, really enjoyed talking to you today. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for, um, thank you for having me. Uh, it was, it was an honor and honestly, um, uh, a lot of fun. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, and I hope oh, you're we, welcome. We can do it again sometime. Or uh, I know we, we went all over the map with everything. But, oh, we sure uh, did. Anytime you ever want to talk comics or acting or any kind of creative expression, I'm down. Well, here's, here's a thought. Maybe we can work together someday. <laughs> you know, I, I would love that. You know, I, I would be, I would be happy to be, I could play the old uh, martial artist who's just can't do it anymore because he's all crippled up with arthritis and stuff and he brings on this young sidekick it's sort of like the aging batman and robin listen it You're takes the man. place we could do it where it takes place in a comic shop <laughs> and that way we could just both secretly geek out the whole time as we're playing these roles sounds good Ephraim listen you have a good day and take care of yourself stay safe and sane my friend you and, too. Uh, and thanks again take care thank you bye bye now Bye. Yeah, and I bet you're one of those people who when the guy's going to kick the field goal, you say, oh, he never misses, and then you put the curse on him. It's a jinx, don't you understand? There's going to be more snow. Oh, never mind. Well... That was Afrim Jean Belay. I hope you found him as interesting as I did. There was a lot that I didn't record uh, for the interview because he and I got off on a tangent talking about comic books, if you want to be honest. And uh, <laughs> we had a lot of fun that you didn't uh, partake in. Sorry about that. But I really didn't think anybody would be all that thrilled in our conversation about, you know, how long I've been collecting comic books. Basically, from the time I was 10 years old until the time I was 19 years old. And that was a long time ago. 
And what is that weird noise I keep hearing? It sounds almost prophetic, almost prescient. It's, well, you'll find out what it's all about eventually. So listen, I hope you're taking care of yourself. I hope you're being safe and sane and keeping all of your family safe as well. Get your shot. If you have been designated into a group that can receive the shot, wear your mask anyway, whether you've had your shot or not, because I can almost taste it now. I feel like it's getting closer and closer. The theaters are going to open up again pretty soon. God, I can't wait for that to happen. But in the meantime, we'll be servicing you here at Off-Road, RLTP's off with servicing you? That didn't sound good. No, don't get your hopes up. And we'll see you again in another couple weeks with Diane Burlingame here on Off-Road with me, Pete Pomisano. Mm-hmm.